the makeup has so much to do in this movie with how effective the film is and how you know one character and you know it just helps to characterize each of the performers I think mm-hmm. I got to give you credit it's a smaller film but you did one of the best exploding heads <laughs> I've ever seen the brilliance is in the original and everyone else can do a good spin off of right, it right because we love it but the, the design is already etched in. Going to focus a little more behind the camera this time than we have usually as we talk about Frightful Makeup. This should be fun. Welcome. This is the Fright Club Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we're from MadWolf.com, and we, we had a lot of fun. Well, last time, the last podcast was a, a Fright Club Live. It was. That we love doing at Gateway Film Center. And um, we got I had fun with sound effects in the last podcast putting in <laughs> putting in the sound of those crickets yeah but uh the response to the movie Hagazuzo was not exactly <laughs> enthusiastic it was not it was not it was tepid at best but <laughs> I, I think pe- there are some people who came around like they needed to digest it and, uh, and right. then there were other people who just we're kind not to leave. So thank you, and please come back next month because we have more of a crowd pleaser. We'll talk about that in a second. We did have a couple of people, our friends Seth and Michael. They both loved it, loved it outright. And our topic was drug use. Right. Um, and we mentioned this because, really, Hagazusa has two or three clear topics that I wanted to to use, except that they would have been spoilers. Sure. And so few people have seen that movie. Exactly. So we went with drug use, and um, and there were some, of course, that we we forgot, as we always do. And our friend Corey pointed out a couple. He would have he would have mentioned Nightmare on Elm Street three, uh, Dream Warriors, where Freddy has syringe fingers. That clearly that should have had a mention. He also would have talked about. Um, Friday the Thirteenth Part Three. That's obscure. That specific the older couple who's on drugs, but Corey would have pulled that out because he knows he knows slashers backwards. Yeah, and I mean, as as you may know, I am not the biggest uh, fan of slashers. So when I do get a vote, which is seldom, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I probably would not would not have. Although I do agree, the syringe. Oh yeah, that's, fingers. That's a cool visual. Yes, I'll give him that. That's a good one. And then uh, Maddie pointed out Shrooms, which is a terrible movie, but she says kind of a <laughs> kind of a guilty pleasure movie. But of course, Seth. Seth. Seth really caught Always. Us. I'm starting to think that I should consult with Seth before I finalize my list. You know, and I, I know that's that takes a lot for you to admit it that. Does. It really does. It does. But I he's... don't do very many things well. So the one thing that I do well, I like to really <laughs> cling to. But... but he's proved himself. He, he always old... has one. Yes. Well, this time it's two. Well, one was uh, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which clearly that probably, should... I mean, that's really kind of kicked it all off, right? If we're going to go back, oh, gee, that would be one. But the one yeah. that I cannot believe yeah. I forgot Fried berry. Fried berry. How did I forget? You know well, what? They follow one, us on Twitter. I know. And number one, it's not that old. No. And we loved it. And, and it the is whole a, movie is about just being a drug-fueled fried. nightmare. Yeah. So I, yeah. I don't know how I missed fried berry, but so, my apologies. Yeah. My apologies to everyone. I would have voted that. for that one yeah, too. I, yeah. Apologies to fried berry. And then, and then Dustin. Uh, our friend Justin, who moved out to L.A., and we miss him. He just wanted to point out that he liked the list, but Bliss, which we talked about mm-hmm. Bliss, but it didn't make the final five, and it absolutely would have been in his final five. Yeah, well, Bliss has a lot of fans. Yeah, it does. We, we liked it. We didn't love it. No, I was a little underwhelmed because I felt like I've seen this movie before, just yeah. not maybe done quite this well. So Yeah, but I know it has a lot of fans, so yeah. so point well taken. Uh, thank you, Dustin. So that was uh, that was an interesting an interesting time. Yeah, uh, I, think that, I think that that was maybe the— 
the most disappointed. And it's funny because we had two back to back because we showed the fan last time, Der Fan, the mm-hmm. German movie Der Fan, and it had it was polarized. A lot of people really liked it, but there were a couple people, yourself included, hated it. Well, I just that that soundtrack, I just yeah. I just couldn't get, um, get away from that. And then the, to to follow it up with Hagazusa, which was so. Anyway, so we, we've had a couple of misses. The last but you know, few the months. interesting thing is, over the years, over the nine years, there have been movies that I thought, "Oh, this is going to go over, like it's going to die." Yeah, that have come off really yeah. well. So yeah. I'm a little surprised. I really like Hakusho. Yeah, I do too. I, I think love it's it, well and done. it's beautiful. I think everybody at least admitted that. It's if you're going to watch it, you should watch it on a big screen because it is a yeah. gorgeous film. But yeah, anyway, agreed. so next month, it's it's a crowd pleaser. Mm-hmm. And actually, there are three back-to-back that I think people will like. Okay, so you're trying to get back in the good graces. I am. I'm trying. <laughs> come back. Even if you hated the last Consult two months. Consult with Seth Come first. back. <laughs> so thank you for all that. Thank you for all the um, the feedback, as always. As we're moving on, we have a great special guest. I think we've been <laughs> trying to excited. schedule yeah. him on here for a while. Yeah, like a year. Yeah, So because we got uh, the, the good fortune to work with uh, him on our movie, Obstacle yep. Corpse. Yep. We were so lucky and learned so much. Please welcome... David Greathouse. Yay! Hey. Hey. AKA hey. House. That's, That's how right. we're going to refer to you from from yeah. the rest of the show. I like it. Sure. We're glad to have you on here because actually we're we're based in in Columbus, Ohio for people that don't know and you're really not far. Yeah, Mansfield area, our some north. You've got your little your madhouse of horrors going on there when you work on all your all your creature feature effects. Yeah. Well, you know, we have uh, we got Halloween business and then the movie stuff is pretty much me. But, um, you know, I didn't expect to be here as long as I did. And I sort of got caught up in the vortex of Ohio. (laughs) You know, I moved to Los Angeles in the 90s. I lived out there for, you know, eight years and came back to make a documentary film back in my hometown of Cleveland. And I couldn't leave. There was just like other projects and people and events that was off the beaten path of what I was doing in Los Angeles, which was special effects 24-7. And then this wound up, I wound up, you know, shooting videos and editing and acting and getting back in the haunted house business. And just it it was like and then, you know, touring with Mushroom Head and then, uh, you know, Robert Kurtzman. So all of these like weird opportunities like kept me in Ohio Mm -hmm. and I had, you know, and it's like. Well, good. Wow, here we are. Yeah, right. it worked that, out. Worked it worked out, out for, for us. us because you got to uh, you got to help us out so so uh, big time yeah, on the Obstacle Corpse yeah, with some fantastic was, yeah, effects. Yeah, it was it was incredible. But I mean, for people who aren't familiar, you you your career has really I mean run the gamut. So you like you've done uh, Yorgos Lanthimos movies and you did uh, Kevin Smith movies and you also do a lot of Ohio based films and you and you act and do makeup effects for things like. Clown Town, and you know, uh, you just do all kinds of like all over the place. You do, I don't want to say charity work, but I mean, you, you're <laughs> kind enough to bring like your ghost Lanthimos level of this guy is such a professional work to really small homegrown films like ours. Yeah, I like obviously because I'm an, I think because I'm an independent filmmaker myself, I understand and appreciate, and you know, and it's all the same, you know, the rates made vary but the work you know sometimes it's more creative most of the times it is more creative to work on a more independent project so i learned something as well about filmmaking you know beyond just like being guy for hire and i like it all you know the acting part and Mm -hmm. and, you know there's any any aspect of filmmaking any aspect i'm interested in it versus like i'm a makeup artist or i'm a special effects artist or you know i like it all so as much as i can 
get my hands in in any part of the process, I'm I'm game. You know, and I love and, killing people on screen too. You know, yeah, you yeah. Me, um, kill people. I am there. <laughs> yeah, and and you mentioned you mentioned some of the directors, but the films that we're talking about, you were involved with the incredible effects on Tusk. Yeah, uh, the effects of Killing of a Sacred Deer, and also I got to give you credit. It's a smaller film. But you did one of the best exploding heads <laughs> I've ever seen in Escape from Death Block 13. I yeah. love that exploding head. Oh, right on. Yeah, director Gary Jones. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that was something, because I was a part of it, yeah. I kind of helped write it into the script almost. You know, like, <laughs> no, well, let's do the exploding head. Let's go for yes. it. Because any chance to kill myself is even. <laughs> well, I, I mean, it's down the hallway, by the way. Oh. I I, I'll, I'll save that for later. Nice. Well, when we were when we were prepping Obstacle Corps, um, our our art director Molly Haynes and I went to Crestline and we toured your facility. We yes, looked at I'm all jealous. Of your, I know cool monsters and everything. And I just want to point out how you know this was my first feature film, as you both know, and it was Molly's first feature film, and how incredibly what a like a lovely, amazing education experience it was to work with you and what a phenomenal mentor you were and I, I say that for myself because it was great you and I went through the script page by page and talked about well how should this person's death look I mean it was great and you asked me like what are my favorite horror films and so we have a couple of of deaths that were sort of specifically sort of homages to my favorite horror films and then and then you worked hand in hand with Molly in our art department to to create all of those things and teach them how to create all those things, how to create the weapons and how to make everything work. And you just made everybody feel so like, a, I mean, it was my movie. So clearly I felt a part of it, but I didn't know what I was doing. And you you helped me learn to to uh, know what I was doing. You just I mean, you were such a great mentor to all of us. And every single person on the set loved you so much. You were everybody's favorite. <laughs> you you and Tyrone Russell, who was our, <laughs> our, our scripty. <laughs> you were the two favorite people in the entire mm -hmm. the entire crew. It's very sweet. Um, <laughs> it starts from the top. And obviously, you guys, I just connected with you. And obviously, I, I, if we didn't jive, it probably wouldn't have been the same. But, you know, we're kind of kindred spirits. Yeah. And I think that helped us all together mm -hmm. is um, believe in each other. You know, I mean, I, I see a lot of directors. I just independent. I don't believe in mm. this was never the case. Oh, so I like there's people, there's kindred. Like this is one of my, this is my tribe. You know, I, I you know, <laughs> the rock and roll connections, the, yeah. the, the, the movie obsessions. It's like, yes, we're in a good, we're in good hands. Yeah. And then I, when I, when I got pulled into the cast, I was lucky enough to be oh, a part the, of what the best kill. I think so. Yeah. I like to think kill. it's the best kill. That's right. And we'll leave it at that. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got a list of, we've got, well, we've got five films that really mm -hmm. spotlight the work of some great makeup artists. And yep. then, and then underneath those five, we'll talk about the other work that the artist has, has done. Is yeah. That or at least gonna... just list it out. But yeah, I wanted to talk about, and, and there's going to be one that's a clear omission, but it's kind of because there were two different werewolf movies, and one of them is uh, my, one, maybe my favorite werewolf movie, maybe. But um, the makeup in the one that we talk about instead, the, we get to see more of it. The, the character yeah. sort of transformations, they're sort of partial transform, partial not, you know, all throughout the whole movie. So that's why we went with that one anyway. All right. Well, good enough. So but I did I did run the list. I did this time. I ran the list past House first to see, does this look okay to you? And he was good with it. So. Good. Good. <laughs> That's good. Oh, so we got some. We've got some uh, some fine examples here of some fantastic uh, makeup work. So we'll dive in uh, to number five. And boy, this is an all timer. This is from 1981. Some of the best werewolf effects ever. It's the howling. 
He saw you die. You said on the phone that you wanted to get to know me. Well, here I am, Karen. Look at me. I want to give you a piece of my mind. So this is the one where uh, originally I had An American Werewolf in London here, which is a magnificent movie. It won the Oscar. Uh, clearly is something that needs to be recognized. The only reason that I went with The Howling instead, as I said, is because, you know, you, you get to see these werewolves kind of half change. The, the, it creates individual characters. Uh, that's what I felt like as I, even the first time I watched the movie is that the, the makeup effects help you recognize one character from the next. They become part of the performance, I think. Well, and what's interesting about that is because Rick Baker, effects master Rick right, Baker, right. left Amer- left uh, this movie to do American Werewolf in London, That's- leaving it in the hands of Rob Bottin. Yeah. So, and you were cool with this decision. Tell us what you think about this film. Well, you know, there, there's a great uh, rivalry with the effects guys on what is better, American Werewolf or The Howling. I bet. Actually, people in general, you know, horror movie fans in general. Now there's the effects guys, which is like a microcosm of that. Um, and I, it's a question that, you know, I'm literally was asked the other day, not related to this topic of the, <laughs> like other people are still wanting to debate this. And, you know, it's all these years later. Uh, the howling is, is awesome uh, for many reasons. Um, and Rob O'Teen is, was, I mean, he was 21 years old. Yeah. Wow. It's amazing. And he was doing this in his garage. Okay. He did not have a shop. Uh, he was Rick Baker's apprentice. He had done uh, Piranha for Joe Dante. Right, right. Basically the gore gags and I think um, not so much of the fish and humanoids from the deep. So he was, he was 19, 20 years old making this stuff. So he was hanging out with Rick as a 14, 15 year old kid and with the master of makeup effects. And yeah, Rick was signed to do this. He stepped out because American Werewolf came in, a film that he had been promised on, a bigger budget film and something he had worked with John Landis before. So Rob took control and really, you know, there's a little bit of, um, you know, there was a, a cross education going on between those two guys, but, you know, they linger and it's spookier. The movie is spookier. And I, I like American Werewolf more as a movie. It's right. just like a perfectly fun film, mm-hmm. but there's something sinister and creepy about the howling and the werewolves and the Eddie Quist transformation. Yes. Yes. It's hard. That's hard to top. So it's an apples oranges discussion with those two films, but they're both brilliant. They and are. So we'll talk about them today. Yeah, I think really as time has gone on, at least for me, the the Eddie Quist scene has just really gotten more and more legendary. Mm-hmm. I mean, I agree with you on American Werewolf in London. I love it, but man, you go back to that Eddie Quist scene, and it is so creepy and so well done. And it's close up on his face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Really, really, really creepy. And this actually won. It won the 1981 Saturn Award for Best Horror Film. Wow. It is a great movie. And and we get to see a, a beautiful restoration of it at Nightmares last time. Yes. So, um, and I think that American Werewolf seems like it was immediately, and rightly so, a classic. I, I don't think there was ever any discussion or, or it was, and I think Howling took a longer time to have more mainstream appreciation. Um, and I and I do like the reason, as I said earlier, the reason that it got the edge here, not because I do think American Wolf is a better film, but the the makeup 
has so much to do in this movie with how effective the film is and how you know one character and, you know, it, it just helps to characterize each of the performers, I think. Mm-hmm. I still have to say, at the very end, she yeah. still looks a little like a poodle. Yeah, she doesn't, or a Pomeranian, maybe. A Pomeranian. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's when the laugh comes in, you know, it's it's kind of... It's aw, look how cute. But, but you know, in a way that kind of works because people that are watching don't believe it. Right. You know, she's hoping to get a reaction of the audience and she doesn't get it. No. And let's talk about the uh, the other, I mean, talk about uh, credits uh, of Rob Bottin. You've got a bunch of others under here that he's done. So, yeah, so he did The Thing, The Fog, Twilight Zone, the movie, Legend. He got an Oscar nomination for Legend, man. which is not a great movie, but, but man. Yeah. <gasps> Yeah. Oh my God! The the Tim Curry in that movie that is one that is some of the greatest uh, makeup effects ever. That is such a great character right there. Wishes of Eastwick and also Seven. Yeah, that's a good list. It is a good list, and that doesn't even count the couple we already talked about: Piranha and um, Humanoids from the Deep. Right. He won the Oscar for Total, Total Recall. Recall. Total yeah. Recall. Sure. Yeah. 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 At the time, those were some those were some crazy effects. Too, yes. His, his face coming apart and oh, things yeah. like that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So uh, legendary, legendary body of work. All right, moving up to uh, number four, and this is kind of a, a double score. It is. Two and one, but it's understandable because we go with uh, Bob Keane's original Hellraiser in 1987 and then Josh Russell for the 2022 remake, both Hellraisers. We'll tear your soul apart. There is so much more the body can be. And you'll feel it all before we're through. My favorite thing about the new Hellraiser was the look of the new Cenobites, partly because I thought, well, you can't outdo the original. Mm-hmm. You just cannot. But I loved the design of them. I loved how their flesh became their costumes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I loved the way they looked. But the original Cenobites, and not just in Hellraiser, but in the sequel Hellraiser, some of the sequel Cenobites were better than the original Cenobites. <laughs> what a masterful idea, you know, to be able to just like read that short story and then come up with this incredible look of the priest with the pins. That there are so many. There's there's that one. There, you know, there's the one where like their faces played apart. I mean, all of them are so great, but Pinhead is just almost Frankenstein level oh, perfection. Yeah. Oh, it's iconic. What, a, it what an iconic, iconic yeah. image. And and I just think, what did you think, House? What did you think of the the new one versus the old one? How did you think that they they did they keep up? Did I they enjoy, not? I enjoy the new one. Fine. Good job. All right. But the language has already been written. Yeah. yeah. Okay? And that is the first Hellraiser. So I think as much as I love all the sequels, and including the including the the not all of the sequels, I take that back. Of course. Um, the first the two sequels and then the remake. The brilliance is in the original, and everyone else can do a good spin-off of right. it. Right. Myself, a thousand of other guys will do an honorable spin-off because we love it. But the, the design is already etched in, mm-hmm. and that owes it to the original and Bob Keen. Yeah. And that changed makeup effects, costume design, cosplay, haunted houses, future films, sure. um, the style, the aesthetic, sadomasochists from hell, from mm-hmm. beyond the grave, from outer space, wherever they are from. Right. Um, the original, brilliant. The sequels, 
honorable, but I'm going to have to just stick with Bob Keen yeah. Yeah. on this one because yeah. he wrote that language. Clive Barker ultimately right. did. Oh, I had yeah. His art books, his designs, we, you know, we, we, we talk about him as a writer, but his painting and his design of characters is, I, I challenge anyone in the 20th century to come close to him, of character designs. Yeah. In his written word, just the way aliens and monsters look, mm-hmm. he has a style unlike any other artist. The only one comparable would be Giger. Right. Yeah. I, I consider him as an artist up there with the greats. That's how I feel about Clive Barker. And it's a funny thing because, you know, um, it's almost it's kind of a weird comparison. But but children's book writers, picture book writers, uh, the people who do the writing and illustration together, they understand that they're two completely separate ways to create one story. Right. And and so your your words don't have to carry as much weight because all they have to do is tell you something that the image doesn't and vice versa. And I think that that's what Clive Barker does is that throughout Hellraiser, we didn't have to have exposition to explain to us what the Cenobites were or who they were or what they were doing because he had crafted an image with them that explained in a better way any anything words could have done. Yeah, and much like we've talked about many times with The Ring, when you have that buildup to the video in the ring, you know, it had to deliver once we saw the video, oh, and yeah. it did. Yeah. And this, those Cenobites had the look, yeah. had to deliver when we said, and my God, did they. Because if you think about it, the story before you're introduced to the Cenobites of this this guy who has no flesh and his girlfriend is, is luring back people so right. that he can stop, that's gross, that's horrifying enough. And you almost, once you're introduced to Pinhead and his crew, you almost forget about that. Because you're like, oh, my God, yeah. look at them. Yeah. yeah, they're glorious. And then, of course, the manner, you know, that that pinhead was just so almost like a restrained uh, manner that uh, Hannibal Lecter had. Yeah. You know, his look was one way, but then he was just so yeah. measured in his yeah. speech. And yeah. he just that made it more menacing. It did. Yeah. I have to say the performances in the in the reboot were, uh, you know, that those were big shoes to fill. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was actually a really um, ex- especially the priest, a really great transition from one era to the next. And also, uh, it, although it's not quite the same as what we're talking about, I also loved the the development of the puzzle box in the new one. We yeah. went deeper into its architecture yeah, it and the cool things that it too. do. I really enjoyed that, too. But, but, but I want to throw out, Bob Keane also did do- Dog Soldiers, which yeah. is another, we're just going to keep going back to werewolf movies. Well, I suppose that makes sense, given the topic. But Dog Soldiers is such a great movie. And Candyman, the original Candyman. Mm-hmm. Glorious. And Nightbreed, Nightbreed filled with monsters. Oh my God, yeah. And Life Force, which was, you know, mainly you remember it for the nudity, but still, it had some good looking <laughs> makeup effects. Yes, yes, it did. <laughs> and then uh, Josh Russell for the new one, he also has done um, The Ritual recently and The Night House. Yeah, all like the same. Both of those. Yeah, same director. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the same director as the, as the new Hellraiser. So they, they make a nice team. They do make a nice yeah. team. So that's good stuff. Anytime you know, I love I love the Hellraiser. Well, not the entire franchise. No, I love nobody, the original. <laughs> nobody loves the entire franchise. And I really liked, uh, we both really like this new one as well. So so good on both of them, Bob Keen and Josh Russell for Hellraiser, yes. the original and the reboot. So that's our combined uh, number four. And moving it up to number three, this is from 2006. And this makeup deservedly won the Oscar that year for Pan's Labyrinth. In misery, there can be beauty. Death, there can be life. 
Pan's Labyrinth. Oscar winner David Marti, the uh, makeup effects artist here. And this one has an iconic, an iconic visual. All you got to do anymore is show a picture of the pale man. Oh, my God. Yeah. And it conjures up so many feelings. Yeah. And he's done. uh, uh, Marti has done a lot of of. Guillermo del Toro's films. Yeah. So, and it's another one where it's like the, the the artistry just blends perfectly because you know del Toro's imagination is is so magical. It's so full of wonder, um, and it's such a great it's such a great balance between like sort of terrifying macabre and just childlike magical wonder. And I I feel like that's what especially Pan's Labyrinth. That's what the makeup effects capture that's what these creatures capture because some and i know that there was a lot of, of digital effects too especially with the like the the stick bug and things like that but um I, I i do think that you if you look across their whole sort of body of work together because he also did David, uh, devil's backbone and um Your hellboy pinch. uh well that's not that's not uh All del toro the, right but he, the the second hellboy those those three together but yeah he's also he did the skin i live in that is amazing oh, yeah. and in a very different way there are no creatures in that but the makeup effects the the movie is so so um exceptional and then Dagon, which is not one of my favorites but good looking monsters <laughs> um so he's got a, a tremendous um catalog of work but i think that for me i mean pan's labyrinth is in every way, next to perfect. It's almost an absolutely perfect film, and I don't think that I don't think that it could possibly have achieved that if you didn't believe the creatures that she finds mm-hmm. that the little girl finds. Sure. Absolutely agree. All uh, everything you just said. Um, the company that David runs with his, I believe his wife is DDT, and I, there's something always magical. Magical, and this goes for Bob Keen as well. Um, there's sort of a like a, a Hollywood way of making a monster. And then when we see uh, something from Japan or England or Spain, it has a different look to it. It yeah. does. Yeah. And 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 that's what's great uh, is seeing other people's visions from across the pond, across the world um, versus what we imagine as Americans is what the monster will look like. I say a lot of this uh, genius of these creature designs, again, similar to Clyde Barker, it goes back to Guillermo del Toro. Mm -hmm. He is the designer. He's the artist. Um, And I have his books, and they are filled with these uh, magical drawings, similar to another one would be Tim Burton. Um, So guys are uh, uh, illustrators, Ridley Scott. Uh, Guys that can design, Jim Cameron. that know, already know creatures and designs, and then they're the writer-director. How good is that? You right. know, you're not you're not just like accepting what someone sends you. You are you're a mad genius. Yeah. <laughs> a mad genius. Yeah. And those creatures came from his mind. Now, obviously, they were pulled off to perfection. Right. But in some ways, Guillermo is the makeup artist in many ways. He's not sculpting the clay. Or he actually he sometimes does. He'll come in and butcher. <laughs> someone's work just like slice the face off or something but he works with incredible people all of his artists he has a variety um he's you know he's worked with spectral motion um mike elizaldi and steve johnson and all these other great effects artists throughout his career but there's something about uh ddt's work out of spain um the backbone as well yeah um it just gives it a more just a different vibe to it yeah then 
someone in LA would would do, you know. Well, and I think you you bring up a good point in remembering the importance of the word artist yeah. in makeup artist because yeah. you have brought up a couple times now how much of art comes into it going back to their books and their drawings and their sketches that it is it's a piece of art yeah. uh, brought to the screen and in this case especially with Pan's Labyrinth we also have to give credit to Doug Jones because yes. he helps really make that a character yeah. you know inside that suit yeah and, well, and also yeah and also in Hellboy too I yeah. mean he's he's you know I feel like and you would know better than us but I feel like when you get that to work with like how 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 does that sometimes the actor that you're going to be sort of fitting with your designs how does that affect what you do Big time, big time. And, you know, you take it for granted because actors will say, I want this role. I want to do this role. Mm -hmm. But and when they really step in to do it, they really don't want to do it. You know, (laughs) you want to be done with it already. Yeah. Because um, being glued in, you know, in a cold, uh, a wet suit and prosthetics with stinky glue on every square inch of your face and performing through that. And it's not easy. Mm -hmm. And and Doug is probably the best actor in the world to uh, handle this and, and be kind uh, throughout the process because mm. actors can turn really grouchy quickly when you're being poked and prodded all day <laughs> and they're covered in a fish suit. You know, they want to be the leading man or, you know, you know, and yet, you know, they're, they're in prosthetics. Right. They endure the most, but they're seen the least. Yeah. So guys like Doug Jones, the best of the best, the guys that work on the Guillermo films, the best of the best, and every movie monster that he has created and will create, you know, I'll be first in line for. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, because it's not just, we've talked about it before with um, animated films and, and voice actors. You can't just say the line, oh, no. I have a nice voice. I'm going, no, you make a character. Yeah. Same way with actors like Doug Jones. It makes oh, yeah. an incredible, credible difference. Yeah. Yeah. He's just remarkable. And it went to the really the whole magical world of the movie mm-hmm. and how he balances it out with, because like almost all or all Guillermo del Toro movies, there's a political statement yeah. going on here. Yeah. And to balance that with the, you know, the, the, the childlike wonder, wonder mm-hmm. of, of what all the creatures was amazing. Yeah, it was. It's an incredible film. I was at a bar a week ago, literally, in a small town, and... Um, you know, the bartender, it's just me in the bar and the bartender's like, top. we start, obviously movies came up. What do you do? I do special effects. And then he pulls up his shirt and he's got the pale man tattooed on nice. his Nice. So example of what we're talking about. Exactly. This is true yeah. story of a week ago. Bartender, whoop, pale man. <laughs> so, Good stuff. That is uh, number three on our list. The Oscar winning David Marti from 2006. And Pan's Labyrinth. So let's move up to number two. Another one. Oh man! If if this is number two, number one's got to be pretty damn good. I think you know. I know what number one one is from 1986. (laughs) The Fly. I'm afraid. Don't be afraid. No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Help me, please. Help me. So the story goes, and I hope this is true, uh, the first name mentioned in the end credits of the movie is Chris Wayless. And at an early screening, the audience cheered when that name came up. And the producer 
uh, Stuart Kornfeld turned to him and said, you're getting an Oscar. And indeed, he did. He did. That is incredible. I want to say, so I love David Cronenberg. I love David Cronenberg. Like, he's such a, on my all-time, you know, he's in my top three all-time favorite directors. I love David Cronenberg. And I feel like he owes Chris Whale is such a tremendous debt because oh. he did Scanners. And, you know, if it weren't for that head explosion, I don't know how much longer it would have taken Cronenberg to really get traction in the genre. Um, That was such a pivotal moment in horror and certainly in Cronenberg's um, career. But then he also did uh, Naked Lunch, which is one of my favorites and has so many great creatures all throughout so that many, movie. Yeah, yeah. So I, I feel like he had a, uh, Whale has had a chance to sort of stretch and show more than just sort of one guy's transformation. You had like all these different things to look at in, in Naked Lunch. But obviously The Fly, um, what he did, it, it's such a tender film really. And you you love Jeff Goldblum. You love, you know, you love him and you, you want the best for him, which is one of the reasons I think the film is so effective is you know it's going to go badly. <laughs> um, and then I just feel like the 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 makeup transformations, the character tra- the physical transformation is such an important it's such a visceral like, oh God, no mm-hmm. in, in how the movie progresses that it's I mean, it's there's a, a great reason it won the Oscar. Oh, yeah, because it's so horrific on one uh, hand. on the other hand, you have so much sympathy yeah. for him. And even though, uh, from what Cronenberg has said, it wasn't intended at the time because of the time it came out, there yeah. was such a a um, analogy to the AIDS epidemic yeah. at the time. Uh, but but really, any sort of, uh, sickness, any sort of illness where you have to see someone waste away like that yeah. and you care for them and love them because, of course, you have this love story going on and she has to watch him, what happens to him. Yeah, it's very, very moving it is. and yet horrific at the same time. Yeah, yeah, I think it strikes a perfect balance. What are your thoughts, House? Well, I, too, love David Cronenberg very much, <laughs> and he's my all-time favorite filmmakers since I was a child. And um, I love The Fly. I love, uh, I can talk about all of his films, but um, yeah, The Fly, you know, there's such a human element, I think, that makes that movie win. Uh, The makeup, obviously, is throughout the film, and it's brilliant, but it's ultimately the human connection that wins. It's it's Jeff and and Gina. It's what a love story, period, you know? Take away, you know, the same like with The Thing. We uh, Most effects guys reference The Thing as the greatest effects movie. But take away the makeup effects in it, and you have a really tight suspense thriller of who done it, who's yeah. out there. Yeah. Uh, you know, who am I? The fly, take away all the makeup effects, and you have that relationship of I'm dying, mm-hmm. you know, and angry and changing, even if we don't see the metaphor, you know, metamorphosis right. happen right. on screen. You know, we could it could it's just that human connection. And that's what makes it so good, is there's such a love story there that I adore. And then, of course, the grossest makeup effects ever, <laughs> right? And Jeff sells it he does. because oh, yeah. that's the thing. Like you can get buried in rubber, and you and you, it it like is like a blanket. Or are you going to allow that to like reach out and you got to go big and your eyes and who has better eyes? Who has better eyes than Jeff? Yeah. Right. So all those mannerisms and and it's so funny and sad and you know you can see like his the different moods that he has as he's, as he's changing. It's such a great film. I mean, I, and you know, and all of these that we're talking about with the exception of Frankenstein, which I saw revival wise, but I've, I've seen the first time, you know, in the theater. Mm-hmm. So I was always eager to see every film that we're talking about, you know, when they, when they came out. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, one of the things I think about Goldblum and in in The Fly, um, you know, he's such a dork early on, and he he sells that, and and it fits the character very well. So that so there's like, there's like um sort of social cues that he misses. So when he starts kind of picking at his face. It's different than if, like, somebody who'd grown up handsome, and he's a handsome man, but if somebody who thought of themselves had any vanity, that's, I think, what I'm saying, is that he's picking at himself without any vanity. Which he's I, fascinated yeah, by Yeah, he it. is, because he, he's a scientist, yeah. you know? And then, actually, also, when he went first, when all of a sudden he's like, oh, look at me, I'm hulking, and I'm very <laughs> yeah. strong. It's like he's show, it's like a kid. He's like, woohoo, look at this, you know? I think his performance is so, it's fascinating to me because it comes from, I think, a very authentic place given who that character was. Yeah. And I think it's, it again, it just makes it that much sadder as you see what eventually happens. And then in the end, when he's yeah. just killed, oh my God, that just breaks your heart, just kill me. she has to do she it. She does. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it's the saddest thing. You know, and also the grossest. And and everybody remembers the, the mirror scene. Oh, and yeah. And of course, yeah. the uh, how the fly eats. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... One that gets forgotten about, and you tell me how, how how hard this is to do. How about the arm wrestling scene? Yeah. Um, that's a totally different kind of effect, but, boy, it made people squirm for a different oh, yeah. reason when that bone comes popping out. Yeah, it's kind of an easy effect, but um, the impact of it is very painful. Yeah. It, it absolutely is. And, man, yeah, that still hurts. It does. <laughs> it hurts. Oh, but Cronenberg, I mean, you know, even in his, even in, you know, uh, Eastern Promises, Eastern, which is, it, it's a brilliant movie. It's not a horror movie by any stretch of the imagination. You know, it's a great, gritty thriller drama, but there's a scene, or, and I remember when we went to see it, and every time he made a non-horror movie there for a while, I was just this much yeah. disappointed. I'm like, oh, come uh, on. But it's a great movie. Yeah. It's a brilliant movie. And but even yeah. in the very beginning, then this pregnant girl comes running into a to a uh, like a, a pharmacy, and I'm like, "There's Cronenberg. There we go." Because <laughs> there's just this blah, big nasty blood effect. I'm like, "Go, oh, yeah. yeah." It's like when you see right. Peter Jackson do movies that aren't the horror movies. There's usually at least this one scene. We're like, "That's my guy." There you go. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> very true. Well, that is uh, Oscar winning and well deserved for 1986. And Chris Wallace and The Fly, which moves us up to number one, and you referenced it already, and how could it be anything but, from 1931, Jack Pierce and more iconic makeup with the look of Frankenstein. This is the story you've heard about, the spine-tingling, blood-chilling story that stuns your emotions, Frankenstein. Oh, it's alive. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. Yes, and that is the maybe the godfather of monster makeups, uh, Frankenstein. You know, I was fascinated with that character probably at the age of three. Famous Monsters magazine. I'd seen all the movies, uh, or I was starting to watch them at that age. And that still to me is, you know, in many ways, the ultimate monster. I was really confused on how they made that head square as a child. Uh, <laughs> That, that perplexed me. But again, you know, what makes this movie work for me and that character work for me is the acting, the sympathy. It's a real character. Mm-hmm. It, I had sympathy for Frankenstein's monster. I wasn't, I, you know, he still scared the hell out of me, but there was a, sort of a kindred spirit with it. And still to, to this day, you know, I've played the monster, tried makeups on myself of various incarnations throughout my life of this monster. And um, 
I'm really excited to see a new movie eventually of of him. And yeah. um, I have so many toys and pictures and books on this monster. He's still he's still my number one guy. Frankenstein, you know, still is. Yep. Yep. Maybe because we're both tall and got large foreheads. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I sort of like well, look like I wanted to look like him. And I think I, I, I have. I think I all of, come to there. I think all of us weirdly tall people kind of gravitate toward <laughs> Frankenstein as a favorite. Well, you know, it's important to remember how much because this has just become the the go to look. That's what Frankenstein looks like. But it's so much different than the way his look is described in the novel. I mean, this is all due to, to Jack Pierce. Right. His vision of the monster. And James Whale. And he James has to have credit, too, because, it, the, the you know, the monster really doesn't... Because, you know, he doesn't really speak. And, of course, in the book, it's the, the whole the whole book is told from the point of view of, of the monster. He talks a lot. And he's very smart. And mm-hmm. so there, there was a, a specific choice made. And um, one of the things I love about it is that I think for horror in general, a lot of times, you know, the monster represents the sort of unlovable outsider. And I think that's why horror is so appealing to a very specific group of people, the people who see themselves as the outsider. And I, I don't think any film ever before or since captures that as sympathetically and empathetically as uh, as this Frankenstein. And and so much of it, of course, has to do with, with Whale and with the direction and with the, the script itself and the the way that it veered away from the novel. But, but Boris Karloff's performance, yeah. and it's funny, too, to have, he had such, Boris Karloff had such a remarkable voice and way of speaking yeah. that it's funny to me that, that his greatest performance is, is essentially a mute. Uh, that's kind of amazing to me, but but you know it's it's so hard I think to create uh, a memorable character that you love, that the audience will love, and you don't get a chance to say anything, to use dialogue mm-hmm. to get that across. In my whole life, I have found that concept insanely fascinating, and and have tried to sort of recreate it in different things I've done, never to this degree of success, obviously. But then, yeah, I think that the that this makeup is is the all time, the all time greatest that he just created. Jack Pierce created and he used, you know, he used Karloff and everything that Karloff could sort of bring to it as sort of a it seems to me jumping off point as to how he was going to make this makeup just iconic. And of course, the Bride of Frankenstein, also an icon. Oh, my God. Like an absolute icon, like the goth goddess that is the Bride (laughs) of Frankenstein. And those two images together, I I think are unparalleled in in horror. And I have to say, as as great as Frankenstein's entire look, the monster's entire look is, the chef's kiss is the bolts in the neck. (laughs) I just love the bolts in the neck. (laughs) And those boots are still very popular. They're still hip. (laughs) You know? Yeah. You know, and of course, uh, he went on. He also did. He also did. All oh, the man who laughs. Oh my God, that oh, that's yeah. makeup. That is that is, again, and, is, and directly influential to um, Joker. Oh, and well, so many, yeah. so many uh, um, images are are directly re- you know referred to refer to that image, the man who laughs, and also the uh, the original Wolfman, and the Boris Karloff the Mummy. I mean, that's all. All of that makeup is just stunning. But yeah, I think that there is none that matches that concept of of Frankenstein. And it's interesting that the, I guess, the uh, copyright to Universal for this makeup design ends in 2026. Oh, wow. So how can we take it? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's interesting. Uh, you know, Jack Pierce's makeups really helped architect Universal Studios. For sure. Mm-hmm. I, 
I'm talking about the amusement parks and the, what we see today, even, um, you know, if you go into Hollywood, you're going to see a mural of Boris Karloff's Frankenstein, you know, uh, if I don't care what part of the world you're in, you identify, you can recognize Boris Karloff's Frankenstein. Yes. Yes. That's how important it is. It's as, it's as, as iconic as anything ever. Yeah. That's that exactly the truth. Of, uh, symbols in America. That's exactly the truth. Because you think one of the greatest characters of all time. Yep. And and any, I mean Frankenberry, right? The cartoon serial, the serial. It's not. It's not based on Mary yeah. Shelley's Frankenstein. It's based on yeah. Boris Karloff's. Right. It's based on yes. Jack Pierce's makeup. And you know, you can always recognize it right away, even though it has nothing to do with Universal. Even though it has nothing to do with Mary Shelley. That image, that the bolts and the square head, and those shoes. You know, yeah, Jack Pierce created that, and that is what all the world thinks yes. of when they think of Frankenstein. Yes. You know, and there have been other Frankensteins since, and I've enjoyed them. Mm -hmm. um, if I had the keys to Universal Studios and they said, you know, you're directing, creating the new Frankenstein movie, I would go back to the Boris Karloff look as closely as possible. Yeah. Period. And yes, and I, I appreciate all of the designs that, that we're going to see in the future and that we have seen in the past. And they're maybe more realistic in, in, uh, in, in terms of, you know, science or science fiction than what the Karloff Jack Pierce makeup is. I would just, I, I'd want to find an actor who I believe is Jeremy Irons. And, and I would put him in the Frankenstein makeup. I like that. Oh my God, I do like that. Yes. So... But it ain't happening anytime soon. No. We're going to have a new Frankenstein. And I hope it's fabulous. You know, I do. And there's still, I love the Bernie Wrightson Frank. I love the long hair. And I love um, a very long, thin body. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it does. There's still a new version out there that's going to be really sexy and great um, and scary, I hope. Um, so I'm excited. You, know, to you see, mean the new you know. Del Toro, the one that Del Toro's yeah, yeah, I'm interested to see where he goes with that. Yeah, yeah, me too. Sure. Yeah. And it's a great, and, it's a great um, looking cast. And they and people keep debating which of the males they're talking about are going to be the monster. I think it's going to be Doug Jones. I don't think no, it's going to be. No, you don't no, think it'll be Doug it, Jones? Absolutely. Ooh. Not. No. All right. No. Okay. We shall it's see. um, it's going to be the kid. Uh, what's his name? The British Garfield. Kid. Andrew yes, Garfield? Andrew Garfield. Do you think so? Absolutely. Wow. And he'll do a good job. He'll he be, would do. Yes, he, he's going to be fine. He's going to well, be fine. he is always good. I mean, he he's is. always I good in everything. some CG augmentation coming to make him taller. Mm -hmm. so he's in the scene. He's not going to be Andrew Garfield height. He's going to be closer to seven feet tall. Yeah, mm -hmm. I can see that. Although, he's going to be opposite Oscar Isaac, who is not very tall, and yeah. who is the perfect mad scientist, right? I mean, if you saw Ex Machina, uh, he's the perfect uh, mad Cumberbatch scientist. Cumberbatch was my pick. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, see. is he in this? No. Okay. No, he he did my, if he, my Dr. Frankenstein was, was Cumberbatch. Because he did it on stage, right? I believe he did. Yeah. yeah. He did. Could, uh, and oh, yeah. Irons for my monster, but oh, that's yeah. my version, and right. it isn't happening. I love that version. It sounds like oh. a great version. I love that version. So number one, obviously, on our list of makeup effects and horror from 1931, the classic Frankenstein and Jack Pierce's design. This has been fantastic. I mean, we've been waiting for to do this. We waited too long, but now that it's here, this has been a fantastic conversation. I love it. Looking ahead to next time, we're going to be back at Gateway Film Center for the next Fright Club Live, where you try to do a mea culpa, yeah. uh, where you're bringing more of a crowd pleaser. And actually, this is one that came about because 
we had that poll yep. asking people what famous horror movies they had seen, and so many people had not seen Session 9, so yeah. we're going to make sure they do. That's right. I was I was shocked. I was shocked. One of my all-time favorites. Yeah, it's a great one. And a crowd pleaser, right? I don't think there will be crickets that, that movie. time. When everyone says, what do you recommend? I say Session 9. Nice. Well, that's going to be Friday, April 14th. Yep. We'll be the next Friday Club Live. Uh, we're going to show Session 9, and we're going to do a podcast on The Patient. That's right. Frightful Patience. Frightful Patience. I love that. So, And we've got a bonus Fright Club coming in April with a bonus special guest. Yeah, Bruce Campbell. We got to talk to Bruce Campbell, and we both talked to him this time because... Whenever Bruce Campbell says words, I do this. <laughs> so <laughs> we needed somebody who would just compose themselves and then do a follow-up question. Well, he's coming to town. He's coming to Columbus <laughs> with his Bruce O'Rama yep. half game show, half movie uh, event. And so he's going to talk to us about that. He also he also tells us what really two words in a movie script when he reads it tells him the movie is going to be a dog. Right. And we'll find out what that is. <laughs> and, of course, he's always just a, a very a very a fun and enthusiastic interview. Yeah. Especially when we find out how you're going to react to it. <laughs> so that's coming uh, in April. Well, we always love to hear well, what you think about our choices. We know they're good. But what did we, <laughs> what did we leave out? Uh, let us know. You can always uh, find us on socials at Fright Club Pod on Twitter. Also, the main website is madwolf.com, and you can find us on Facebook and Instagram easily at Mad Wolf Columbus. And House, where can we find you on socials? Uh, David Henson Great House on Facebook, and that's about all I'm doing right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, we can't thank you enough. This has been to hear from someone like you uh, on this is your topic, and we, we so much appreciate your insight because this has been great. It has been great. Thank you so much, and it was just great to get to talk to you again. Yes. Agree. And coming soon, hopefully, to a, a streaming service or a theater near you. Uh, you can catch uh, House's work in Obstacle Corpse. Yeah. Hint, 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 hint. Hopefully, we'll have some good news on that soon. Uh, but until then, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Fright Club Podcast. We'll let House take us out. Stay frightful, my friends. Yeah.